Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered, the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode. To my mind, the insurance industry is in a state of paralysis. And it's not until the uncertainty related to these past notifications has been taken away that insurers are going to have an appetite going forward to cover fire safety and the professional indemnity risks around that. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner of the law firm RPC. And in each episode, I'm joined by a guest and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week we have Samantha Pete, and we will be discussing construction insurance. Sam has been at Tyndall Riley, which manages insurance schemes for, well, a long time. Shall we just leave it at that? And Sam is the chief executive of the Wren Insurance, a mutual for architects. However, today for this podcast, she doesn't have that hat on. She is here with us because she is the chair of the Professional Indemnity Insurance Group at the Construction Leadership Council a group that has recently consulted on the current state of construction insurance, which is what we are here to discuss today. So Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. And as far as I can tell, you went straight from university to Tyndall Riley. So what what was it that tempted you to the world of insurance? Well, like everybody that uh, that you, you speak to on your podcast, I fell into insurance. But whilst I was at university, a school friend of mine, um, had an opportunity for me to earn some money by working on reception for a Spanish-owned insurance company called Ocaso. And uh, Ocaso was a life insurer, um, but they started dabbling in household buildings and contents insurance. But because they didn't know what they were doing, they were charging really low rates and they got really popular. So at the end of my two weeks, they said, you can't leave. You've got to help us with all these inquiries. And so I ended up pretty much working through my degree course because I went to university in London and the offices were in London. And so I sort of juggled the two. And when I came out of university, rather than pursue a career that I really wanted to, perhaps, I used my insurance experience to get a job that would pay the bills. And here we are, however many years later. Yes, quite a few years later. So could you introduce us to the Construction Leadership Council, first and foremost, the CLC? Kind of what is it and, and what does it do? Yeah, so the Construction Leadership Council is a body, really, which aims to provide sector leadership in the construction industry. And it does that by working with government and firms within the construction industry to develop solutions and initiatives to help with any issues that the construction industry has. Um, I had a quick look on on their website and they state that 8% of the UK's GDP is from the construction industry and employs 10% of the UK's workforce and 90% of those in the construction industry are SMEs. And so that's really where its its interests lie. And obviously the CLC's interests are much wider than, than insurance, but obviously insurance is a big issue at the moment. And, and your responsibility uh, as chair of the Professional Indemnity Insurance Group, what, what does that involve? Yeah, so um, back in May 2020, 
the CLC decided that it wanted to set up a group to look at professional indemnity insurance. And my involvement really came because a colleague of mine is on the CIC, the Construction Industry Council's liability panel. So um, she's a lawyer and a group of lawyers look at sort of liability issues related to construction and particularly appointments, contracts, that kind of thing. And she was asked, well, you know, you, you work for REN, it's an insurance mutual, could you, could you chair this um, PII group that we're setting up? And she threw that ball at me um, and said, Sam will do it. So that's how I ended up being chair of the CLC PII group. And, and who else is on your, your group? Obviously, no need to name names, but, but kind of what, 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 what backgrounds are the other people on, on the committee? Yeah, so um, it started off as quite a small group, um, but we got so many inquiries from people saying, I'm really worried about this, you know, can I get involved, that the group has grown and grown um, over the period of time. But essentially, we're trying to have a mix of people that work in the different parts of the construction industry, so designers, contractors, engineers, but also we've got some brokers and we've got some insurers on the group. Um, and then we've got people that represent trade associations. So whether that's within the construction industry or maybe the Institute of, of Underwriters representing insurers or, or you know, representing brokers via a trade association. Excellent. So it really is a broad, a, a broad church then for this group. And, and early this year, um, as I mentioned at the outset, you, you launched a survey to investigate PI insurance within construction. And, and, and what was it really that provoked that, that survey? Yeah, so um, when the group was first put together, I think the intention was to look at how COVID-19 was impacting upon the construction industry and professional indemnity insurance. But it became clear within the first 20 minutes of the first meeting of the group that COVID-19 was the last of anybody's worries and that really what people were very upset about was the cost and more importantly the scope of cover that they had and the exclusions and restrictions on cover that were going on to their policies really as a, a sort of a direct result of the Grenfell Tower tragedy. And we set up terms of reference for the group to say, well, okay, we need to identify what are the problems, but we were conscious that it was too easy just to sit there, you know, meeting after meeting, moaning about the problems. And that actually as a group, what we had a duty to do was to try and think of some solutions for those problems. So, you know, people were saying, my premiums have just gone through the roof. This is unsustainable. And I've always been a little bit harsh around that because I understand that there has been a very soft market in professional indemnity insurance for some time. And, you know, we've talked for a number of years about the unsustainably low rates being charged for professional indemnity insurance, not just for architects and construction professionals, but for a lot of, of professional bodies. And so, you know, I've always said to people, you know, don't tell me that your your premium's gone up five times because if you were paying half a percent of your turnover for your premium, now you're paying two and a half percent. I think that's a pretty good rate for professional indemnity insurance. So we were looking at that. We were looking at, at the premium. But the biggest problem was the restrictions on cover, because what people were saying was 
after the Grenfell Tower tragedy, some restrictions on cover started to be introduced to professional indemnity insurance policies, but they tended to be quite specific. They tended to talk about ACM cladding or the combustibility of cladding. And then sort of fast forward three years, the exclusions going on to people's policies tend to say something as broad as we will not cover any claims arising directly or indirectly from fire safety. So you can understand that that type of exclusion is so broad that it starts encompassing far more than the combustibility of cladding or or external wall buildup. And what a lot of people were saying is, I'm not involved in the design or construction of high-rise residential buildings or the design and specification of cladding. And yet I've now got this really generic exclusion on my policy, which number one, makes it difficult for me to do some jobs because I'm worried that if there is a claim that has any sniff of fire safety around it, I won't have cover. But also I'm having to tell my clients that I don't have full cover and my clients really don't like it. So that was really where we, we were coming from, that we, we needed to look at the problems around the scope of cover. And we kind of came to the conclusion that we didn't think the insurance industry was going to fix this problem itself anytime soon. And, and I can come on to, to the reasons for that. But we thought, well, if the insurance industry isn't going to fix this by itself, maybe we need some government intervention. And we'd always had a representation on the group from government. So from MHCLG, which is the Ministry for Housing, Communities and Local Government, and also from BAES, which is the Department for Business, Enterprise and Industrial Strategies. And they were really engaged and they really wanted to hear what we had to say And they were really keen to understand the issue so that they could talk to their ministers and their department heads about it, but also ultimately to talk to Treasury if they thought that it was appropriate to to go to Treasury and say, this is a problem that needs government intervention and government funding. And so we came to the conclusion that it wasn't enough to have these anecdotal stories about my PI insurance is nearly 10%. I can't take on a job um, maintaining fire extinguishers anymore because I've got this stupid exclusion on my policy. We needed to give these government departments data which showed that this wasn't a small group of people whinging about their PI insurance and that this was actually a construction-wide issue that was going to have serious implications if something wasn't done. And that's what led to the survey. Um, and and, and what sort of, I haven't seen the survey questions. Was, was it one of these enormous surveys with thousands of questions or, or, or did it focus on a few specific areas? Yeah, no, that's a really good question because we were conscious going into this that there was survey fatigue, but we wanted to make sure that we were going to get good buy-in to this survey and we wanted to be We wanted it to be the biggest survey of its kind. And so we had to make sure that we didn't ask too many questions and and lost people halfway through. And we also needed to make sure that the answers to the questions were impactful and would actually give government proper data that they could use. So 
I think in the end we ended up with 22 questions. So, uh, so what sort of, how many people responded to this survey then? And, you know, and well, we'll come on to the general themes in a moment. First of all, how many people responded? So we had 1,066 responses, um, which I think is pretty good. That's very good, yeah. And that's really down to the efforts of everybody involved where, you know, the group members and the trade associations represented by the group members and their colleagues, you know, really made a, a fantastic effort in pushing this survey out and really saying to everybody, you know, this is an opportunity to drive some change. And so it's really important that you answer this survey. And we were delighted with the level of response. Yeah, that, that's an excellent response. And, and was it limited to, to professional indemnity or did it cover other forms of construction insurance? No, it was specific to professional indemnity, yeah. Right. Well, this is the drum roll moment. Okay. So what are the general themes that came out of of the survey replies? Okay. So just to give some some background, most of the respondents were SMEs. A high proportion of the respondents said that they had had insurance declined by at least three insurers. Um, So that really gave an idea of the reluctance of insurance companies to take on professional indemnity risk in today's insurance market. And we asked the participants to tell us about the premium that they were paying, but as a rate, as a percentage of their turnover. Because as I was saying to you earlier, if someone says, you know, my premium's gone through the roof, that doesn't really mean anything to me. But it does mean something if you can show that people are paying a percentage of their turnover, which is unsustainable. And we did find that there were a high number that were paying rates which we would consider to be unsustainable. We also found that a number of participants had a claim excess on their policy, which was voluntary, but was imposed upon them by their insurance company. So that suggested a higher claim excess than they would want to pay. And again, the the sort of the average rate as a percentage of turnover, I think it was around 5%. You know, that's quite a high percentage of your turnover if you have a number of claims in one policy year or in one financial period of your operations. But I think the biggest concern really for us was about the restrictions on cover. And this really is in the context that most respondents said that very little of what they did was related to high-rise residential buildings. So I think it was 64% of respondents said that they did less than 5% of their work related to high-rise residential. So this isn't the case that you had 1,066 companies that were all involved in these high-rise residential buildings and had these exclusions. These are people that aren't in that field, and yet they've got these restrictions on cover. So, Sam, just to pause there for a moment, um, you're saying that the survey highlighted three themes, a a triple whammy, if you want, um, for construction professionals. First, these premiums are being set at unsustainable levels. Second, high excesses are being imposed on on insureds. And, And from what you're saying, third and most worryingly, there are these restrictive exclusions on cover. But, you know, just how common are these exclusions? 
over 60% of respondents had some form of restriction on cover relating to cladding or fire safety, with one in three of the total respondents having a total exclusion in place for cladding claims, and one in five of total respondents having a total exclusion in place for fire claims. Now, to us, what's really important is that remedial work is carried out to rectify cladding that needs to be rectified. And there are lots of very good reasons for that. The first is that we are asking some people to sleep at night in buildings that they don't feel safe in. And to me, that is unacceptable. The second thing is that people are finding it impossible to sell these flats and to move. But the third reason that the remedial work is necessary is because, to my mind, the insurance industry is in a state of paralysis because it has a number of notifications on its books which relate to the potential cost of carrying out remedial works on buildings where the cladding needs to be removed and replaced. And it's not until the uncertainty related to these past notifications has been taken away that insurers are going to have an appetite going forward to cover fire safety and the professional indemnity risks around that. And so it's really important on a number of levels that this remedial work is carried out but our survey asks the question, who's going to do this remedial work if so many companies have these blanket exclusions for any claims arising out of cladding or fire safety? Are we expecting firms to carry out this work uninsured or will the clients ask, you know, what PI insurance do you have? And, and they just won't be able to find people, good firms to carry out this work. So that's really one of the, the main concerns that we think this survey highlights. And you described it there as, as paralysis. And I know that Rudy Klein in his uh, regular column in, in Building Magazine has, has described the situation as, as a crisis. Presumably, that's a description that, that this survey bears out, that this, that's something which uh, an opinion that you would share, that, that, that we're dealing with a, a crisis for construction PI firms at the moment. I think so, because the, the other thing that the survey results highlights for me is not just around remedial work, but work in general. Because again, you don't have to be involved in remedial work to remove and replace unsafe cladding for your client to say, how much PI cover do you have? And so many firms are having to say, well, I've got 10 million each and every, but by the way, I haven't got any cover for fire safety you know, the clients don't don't want to take firms on that don't have adequate PI insurance. And so one of the other things that the survey brought out was the number of firms that are having to turn down work or have had to change the profile of what they do because of the restrictions on cover. Now, to my mind, that is a big problem for the SME part of the industry. I can understand that large practices may still be able to get adequate cover because they've got, you know, they're paying the sort of premiums that allow them to get the cover that they want. But the rest of the industry are facing exclusions which stop the, the type of work that they want to do. 
their premiums are going through the roof. They won't be able to afford, you know, more than two or three claim excesses in one year. And our concern is that these firms will go out of business. Our concern is that there is a ticking time bomb here of a number of firms just not being able to, to carry on anymore. And your background is in insurance. So why is it, do you think, that insurers are acting in the way in which they are at the moment? Yeah, so the way I describe it, and it's it's perhaps too simplistic, but the way I describe it is that insurers are walking around with a backpack full of rocks at the moment. And those rocks are these legacy claims that I've talked about. You know, they've got a lot of notifications where they don't know what the cost of that notification is going to be, but it could be substantial. And so they're having to carry heavy reserves with heavy capital. And that is a problem for them in terms of um, not just profitability, but whether they've actually charged enough premium for the claims that they're going to have to pay in those policy years. So they're walking around with this backpack full of rocks and people are coming to them now with their PI insurance demands and saying, can you hold this rock for me, please? And the insurers are saying, well, I'm really sorry, but no. So if things continue the way that they're going, I mean, you've already mentioned a, a couple of outcomes that businesses will will struggle to continue, but also probably more importantly, will struggle to get the, the remedial works done. But Rudy Klein, again, apologies for quoting him again, but he says that in time, there could be a real prospect that the industry itself will become uninsurable. Do you think that's a fair assessment or is that, is that going a little bit OTT? I mean, we're in a hard market at the moment, so premiums are being inflated anyway as a result of that. But the market will soften in due course. So do you think that there's, there's a risk that the industry itself is, is becoming uninsurable? So there, history dictates that for every hard market, there follows a soft market and that eventually more capacity will come into the market and will start ensuring the risks that the existing market doesn't want to. But we're not seeing that at the moment. Um, we're, we're seeing more capacity providers pulling out and no capacity providers you know, coming in and saving the day. And I do think that COVID-19 hasn't helped in that. I think that a lot of insurers took a hit on their investment income, and I think that's made them cautious. I also think that working from home has created a very risk-averse insurance industry. And I think that insurers find it easier to say no via email than they do face-to-face in a, in a meeting as they, they might have had to do previously. And I also think, sadly, that the insurance industry has become far more commoditized and that whereas in the past relationships between brokers and insurers would have found a way to get some cover for these policyholders, I think that the day-to-day active underwriters are simply being told from, you know, management levels above them, thou shalt not do this and thou shalt impose this exclusion on the cover. And the day-to-day active underwriters understand that the risk is better going forward, but that message hasn't fed its way up to the decision makers yet. And, And my concern really is just about time, how how long will it take for the market to start to soften? And therefore, do we need this government intervention 
to just provide a temporary, specific and defined fix and intervention, which will unlock things enough for insurers to start to behave in the way that they did pre-Grenfell Tower and pre-COVID. Yes, I was going to come on to that next, which is, well, what is the solution to this? You're obviously working with, with government, government departments on, on your committee, and the whole purpose of the survey was to get the data which can be used with government. And obviously, I appreciate that your conversations with government departments are, are, are confidential, but, but is, is, is there at least some optimism that, that we can give out to construction professionals who might be listening into this podcast? Yeah, so from a from a positive point of view, I would say that there has been fantastic engagement from MHCLG and from Bayes, and that there has been signal from high levels in government that, that they want to help and that they want to make sure that people aren't having to sleep in these blocks and that they can sell their flats. The trouble is, is that you get to the stage where you say, okay, so we're going to use taxpayers' money, are we? Um, Well, how much taxpayers' money do you need? And what is the risk? And, And what is the potential magnitude of this? And what's our exit strategy? You know, because we don't just want to be on the hook for this forever. And so that's when you have to have sensible conversations between government and insurers, and I also think that there are some really good brokers in the PII market that can help with these discussions, because I think there has to be some collaboration. And, you know, my idea, and this is only my idea, but if government were able to say, okay, we will just cover the very specific fire safety element of work that needs to be carried out to remediate cladding but the insurance industry has to take on the rest of the fire safety risk then you're getting to a situation where government is intervening in a very specific defined way and has to have an exit strategy and the insurance industry has to accept that it can't have these blanket exclusions on cover but that government will help in this very specific and defined way. And then at least we can get the remedial work done, we can unlock the legacy claims, we can create certainty where there is uncertainty at the moment, and then hope the insurance industry can start to behave as it did, as I say, pre-Grenfell and pre-COVID. And if if you can sum it up kind of very briefly, what what would be your, I mean, this is an insurance podcast, so what would be your message to insurers? It's all about collaboration and it's and it's all about um, recognising that if there is going to be government intervention, that we're talking about taxpayers' money and we have to be able to refine what we're asking the government to do and not just ask the government to give some sort of blanket redress and to also help government to understand and to model the exposure because again you can't ask government to to um, use taxpayers money unless you can give them some good data on claims and exposure that will allow government to see exactly what it's being asked to do excellent thank you very much and and finally sam kind of my my habitual final question which is i mean you've had a, a a full career within the insurance ecosystem 
Um, the, what bit of advice would you give a young person who's thinking about joining insurance at the moment? Um, I think the piece of advice I would give them, and it's quite difficult to give it to a young person because, um, as you know, Peter, the older we get, the more comfortable in our own skin we become and, and the more we understand ourselves. But um, I think you need to understand who you are to know where you're going to fit within the insurance industry because the skills and competencies of a broker are very different to the skills and competencies of an underwriter. And I think that we should be doing more to help people coming into the industry to understand themselves and therefore where they can fit into the um, insurance industry. For me, it's always been about service. It's always been about providing a, a good service and for the members of the mutuals that, that we manage to be delighted with the service that we provide them. And um, I think you can gain a, a, a real sense of self-worth from that. Thank you, Sam. That was absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much indeed. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and please rate, review and share it. It really does help. Please also listen to another of our podcasts, Taxing Matters, which is hosted by my brilliant colleague, Alice Kemp. Insurance Covered is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you and I hope you have a lovely day.